Welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. I don't know what to think when JP tells me what to do with that mustache. I'm just like, yes, sir, anything you say. I'm like, I felt like I needed to move my car, like immediately, the, a power stash. I could not pull off a mustache like JP has right now. It is absolutely fantastic. Hey, if I don't know you, my name's Landon Snow. I'm the senior leader here. My wife co-leads with me. She's in the back with the babies all the other babies, when you do a church and you're 35 years old and you have four kids, it just, apparently you have like however many people in here and just as many kids in the back. So babies are back there and everything. It's just, it's a whole lot of fun. Before I jump into the word, I wanted to, um, Stacy had kind of started praying about this a little bit. I just wanted to take it a little bit further. Something that is a big passion of mine is uh, for people to walk in freedom and not have to deal with fear and anxiety and depression. And so I just wanted to pray for that before we do any ministry at the end. At the end, we're going to do some prophetic stuff, and different people are going to prophesy. So whoever wore the brightest shirt is going to get the most prophetic words. So get ready. So look, uh, not to call you out, but just to set people free, I I definitely know what it's like to deal with fear and anxiety and depression at different times in my life. And um, that's not from God. God is a good, loving Father, and He doesn't give us fear and anxiety to teach us something. He's not manipulating our emotions. So some weird perverted sense of him getting glory, fear and anxiety and depression is um, not on his side of the equation. So I want to pray for that. So if you would like breakthrough in fear, anxiety, and depression, won't you stand up? We'd love to pray for you. Jensi's getting a double anointing. Cool. In the kingdom, being aware of your need is a sign of strength. So to say, I need prayer, that moves God. Biblically, every time Jesus did a miracle for someone, they showed an act of, they were aware of their need. So as we pray for people and say, hey, stand up, that's a sign of strength, not weakness. So if you would, if you're around these people, you can just put your hands on them, or you can just stretch your hands out towards them. Um, And I just believe that something's going to shift. So in Jesus' name, just break the power of fear, anxiety, and depression right now in Jesus' name. Generational curses of fear, anxiety, and depression, we say stop in Jesus' name. I just declare that this moment, this moment forward, things are lighter, and things that are supposed to make you heavy from the past don't. And there's a shift in the weight that you carry in your mind. In the song we just sung, it said, you trade joy for mourning. So God, I not only ask that there's not depression, but there's a bubbly amount of joy. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for doing that. Awesome. Um, Anxiety is not a fruit of the Spirit. So the closer you get to God, the less fear and anxiety you should have. And in his presence is fullness of joy. So the closer you get to him, the happier you should be. Um, It's very easy for Christians to fall into kind of methodical routines where life becomes kind of void and not very vibrant. But when we're pursuing him, we're not pursuing a doctrine, we're pursuing a father. And as you pursue him, the closer you get to him, the lighter life is and the more enjoyable life is. And so that's just a big passion of mine. So 
I, thanks for doing that. Everybody good? Okay, awesome. Well, uh, podcast, yes. Um, hey, I have my own personal podcast. We have a Cedar House podcast, and I have the Land and Snow podcast where I interview local people in the community about doing really cool stuff. And Jensi Hogan, the one who jumped up for prayer first, who got the double anointing, she's, uh, she's on the podcast. Jensi and her husband own a awesome, the best photography business in all of the South. I'm a big fan of what they do. And she's a creative and she's an actress. And she's on the podcast and she just kind of gives, she just takes over the podcast for about an hour and just starts talking, honestly, which is what I wanted. And so she just kind of goes into her creative state and who she is and what they're doing and her history with God and stuff. So I would just really encourage you to check that out. Um, yeah, so I, I wasn't here last week. I really miss you guys. Who was here last week? Okay, so this joke will kind of make sense. So I heard the podcast, and I heard y'all laughing at my expense. Um, my, we have four kids. We, we had four kids in seven years, my wife and I. And so when it came down to the decision of how are we going to make sure we don't have another child? Um, you know, the, the, the male help in the birthing process is slightly less than the females. And after she birthed four kids, when it was time for one of us to go through a procedure, she gladly looked at me and said, you're going to have to take the bullet on this one. So uh, we were going to keep that private, but uh, the cat's out the bag. Stacy openly made that public last week. So uh, here we are. Everything is going great. Um, we're, we're on this side of that problem, and uh, everything is awesome. But um, I heard y'all laughing at my expense last week, and I felt, I felt lonely and exposed. And I was uncomfortable with the whole thing, as I am now. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, good. You should, you should just stay in oblivion, but um, we are not going to have any more kids. We did our fruitful and multiplying. Uh, we multiplied many times, and uh, all, God has blessed me with an overwhelming amount of estrogen uh, in my life with beautiful wife and four daughters. I haven't had sleep or an opinion in seven years, um, nor will I have one for probably the rest of my life. But I'm a very blessed man. Uh, during this procedure, you, you basically just lay in bed for five days afterwards, and I felt so loved. It's like, God, they were fighting over, like, who could serve me and help me. And it was just like, like the end of my life is going to be so good. <laughs> Thank you, God, for all girls that just after their dad's heart, you know. If I don't screw it up too bad before now till then, I think they'll, they'll love me. I'm totally kidding. But seriously, no, anyway, that was funny. Uh, I'm glad to be back, and that's awesome. Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, there is something that <clears throat> I do want to share that's on my heart. Pretty simple message, pretty direct forward. I, I want to talk about gossip and how negative gossip is. Um, this is a really big deal for me uh, in my life. I think as a kingdom uh, believer, I think as a culture, as a community, learning um, how to not gossip and learning how toxic gossip can be is just really, really important to me. We are sons and daughters of a king, and there's a way you behave when you're in the royal family, and there's a standard of behavior that he requires. It's a privilege to behave the way he wants us to behave, and one of those things is learning how to tame our tongue 
And one of those things is always learning how to uplift people and not tear people down. And so I know to him, as we're about to go over, this is such an important subject. And to me personally, I've seen it just really hurt organizations professionally. I've seen it hurt churches. I've seen it hurt me. I've seen me hurt other people with this issue of gossip. And it's just, it's really just not a tolerable thing that we should have in the kingdom. Um, here at Cedar House, if you're a member here, I, on the website, cedarhousechurch.com, the very first thing that pops up is what we've created this thing called a culture manual. And it just details and articulates the type of kingdom culture we're trying to create. And the second culture key we have is that the gossip train stops with me. Can you say that with me? The gossip train stops with me. I'm going to base this message on Revelation 12, verses 10 through 12. Now, the book of Revelation is a um, really, really unique book. It's written roughly 60 years after the death of Jesus by John, the Apostle John, who knew Jesus really well. Um, John, John basically has a couple encounters with God, a couple trances, a couple dreams. He's trying to articulate spirit language of what's going to come at the end. And he gives this articulation of something right here that I think is just really, really powerful. So this is what he says. He said, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto their death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in for them. But woe to you, O earth, for the devil has come down in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. So go back up to verse 10. The kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come, for the accuser of the brethren, or brothers, has been thrown down. He accuses day and night before God. I don't like talking about the devil much. I've got to do it just a little bit here, because I don't like giving him attention. Um, we're the only army that doesn't study our opponent. I don't need to know the devil's tactics. I need to know what the Father's doing. I need to know what Jesus is doing. But he tipped his hand pretty strong here, and John talks about it, so we're going to talk on it. So all day, the enemy is standing before God somewhere in the spirit realm, accusing us of our behavior to God. And he's blaming and accusing and bringing up things that we've done wrong in our past. And it says he does it night and day. So 24-7, there is somebody accusing you before the Father for all the things that you've done wrong. Here's the good news. The Father, once you're saved in the blood of Jesus and you're on this side of the new covenant, once you accept the blood of Jesus, the Bible says that he forgives our sins and our iniquities and he remembers them no more. So he's accusing us of stuff and the Father doesn't even know what he's talking about. How many of you are thankful that God has a really short memory with us? He remembers everything, yet remembers nothing, because he's awesome. And so he's accusing us all day, and the Father has no idea what he's talking about. But here's the thing. This is how the kingdom works. It works off of agreement, and what you agree with grows. See, see the devil has no power. Jesus stripped him all power and authority, and he gave it to himself, and he gave it to us. So if he has none, he has to get it from somewhere. So the Bible says he's a roaring lion. So all he does, he does he's not a biting lion. He's just roaring. He's just manipulating. He's just talking. He's accusing. 
He's lying all the time. He speaks his native tongue when he's just talking, which is lying. And he's looking for people that will agree with the accusation. So if God's not agreeing with it, what he does is he accuses and he talks until he can get a human being to agree with it, and it gives it legs. A human being to agree with it, and it births it. And potentially the number one way he does this is through gossip. He is, he is accusing us of things. And as we see him accusing things, I agree with it. And then if, if I put it on my lips, I start accusing. If I put it on my lips, I start gossiping. So we have a choice. We can accuse all day, and we can gossip all day, or we can see it through God's perspective. Which team are we on here? So we're, we're going to dive even deeper into the gossip train stops with us. I'm going to pray. God, I, I thank you for the revelation in your word, and I just pray that you would shift our perspective today and we would leave different. Things would change today, and we would learn how to um, glorify one another with our language, glorify one another with our tongue. We just thank you so much for letting us be a part of your family. Thank you that Drew Brees is our quarterback. He's amazing, and LSU somehow keeps winning. We pray that you continue to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Okay, how many of you have childhood memories that you're embarrassed of? Right? Everybody does, right? Even more so, how many of you have childhood photos that you're embarrassed of? You see an old photo, and you're like, oh, gosh. I'm going to put on the screen here. Um, a fo- that's, that is... That is me on the left. That's my older brother there on the right. He, he looks like a stud, but um, that, that's actually me on the left. That was me in middle school. Now, if you can't tell, um, at that time, health wasn't my highest priority. You can laugh at it. It's okay. You can, y'all see the, the guy on the left? That's me. Are you looking at the butt cut? I'm talking more about my form. That was more of what I'm talking about. But um, anyway, at no one's fault, I just, I, oh, I grew up and I didn't understand. Um, I just had a really large appetite. And I just didn't understand health. And I, I just, I've just, there's basically folklore amongst my high school friends of how much that I could eat when I was in middle school. Like four bowls of cereal at once, um, a, a pizza sitting in one setting, or like two foot longs from Subway. Um, that the stories seem to get bigger and bigger as I get older. Like, you know, no, man, it was like 15 bowls of cereal when you were in middle school. You just kept eating so much. Um, but I just didn't understand. I, I, I didn't know at a young age that what you put in your body really, really, really matters. So I, I, I started my quest with health, you know. So move forward to high school. Boom. Look at that guy. Go Panthers. How many of you went to Woodlawn High School? Come on. How about that? Look at that, a couple people. We were the state champs, no big deal. Not a, uh, just 5A state champs, not a big deal in basketball. Um, so then my second quest with health was, okay, if, you, if you're just skinny, that means that you're healthy. So I thought, I started yo-yo dieting, eating either nothing or everything and everything in between. And um, I, I just was out just figuring out my body and figuring out how to be healthy. So moving further past this point. About 10 years ago, Stacy and I, I'm born and raised here. My wife's from Seattle. Uh, we met at LSU. She played soccer at LSU. 
we moved to Seattle for four years. Now, Seattle's a slightly different city than Baton Rouge, if, you, if you've ever been there. How many of you have been to Seattle? Anybody? Awesome place um, where God has us here forever. But one of the things about Seattle is that it's, it's a foodie place, but it's a health foodie place. You know when people are like, New Orleans is a foodie place, but it's like so bad for you foodie place? Seattle's like the good side of a foodie place. And I started learning that what you put in your body fuels your body. It's actually the life source of what you put in your body. It's, um, we're not trash cans. And, and what you put in your body makes a really big difference in your mental state, your mental health, overall performance and energy. And I, I had no idea. I had no idea that health was so important to my life until, I, until about 10 years ago I started realizing that I need to eat clean foods, so on and so forth. Um, and I, I started learning that what I put in my body nourishes my body, and I get the return that I give to my body. And in the same way with how we communicate, I had no idea how careless and aimless I was, I, I was with my words when I was young. And I had no idea <clears throat> that I would, I'm creating... I'm nourishing my body by, by what I say and how I speak. And most of us are pretty aimless a lot of times and very unintentional with how we communicate, which I, I totally get that. But God has set us up for success in his word, and he's given us some keys to set us up for success, to nourish our bodies, to nourish us in our life. I'm going to read this verse to you. It's Proverbs 18, verse 20 through 21. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Not good. By the fruit of a man's mouth, he is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life is in the power of the tongue, and if you love it, it will nourish your body. The supplements and nourishments that we need are coming from the words that we communicate. This is not God restricting our language. This is God setting us up for success. He's a father, and he's saying, hey, if you speak life, it comes back to you life. It'll nourish your soul. So we have a choice. We can all day speak negative things or and agree with the accuser of the brethren, or we could see from God's perspective and speak life. We can speak death over people, or we can speak life over people. And God has given us free will, and you get to choose what you're going to do with your language. And here's the thing about gossip. It's the cheapest form of communication, and it's really easy. It's really easy to find agreement when you start gossiping. But there's a standard that God has called us to, and he doesn't want us to fall into it. It is, it is absolutely toxic to fall into the mindset where gossip is okay, where we start slipping on our language about talking to someone when they're not in the room. I um, just kind of break this down really simply. So what is gossip? This is my definition. Having a conversation about someone who is not in the room that you would not have if they were in the room. If you wouldn't say it if the person's in the room, then don't say it. Saying something negative about someone when they're not present. That would be considered gossip. There's a quote that I love. It's, don't tell me what they said about me. Tell me why they were comfortable saying it in front of you. Think about that. 
don't tell me what they said about me. Tell me why they were comfortable saying it around you. Can we be people who know how to change the station? Can we be people who don't entertain gossip? Can we be people who have the standard of our life to say, I'm not going to engage in that conversation? I see this professionally in church so much, so many times. I see someone who doesn't want to gossip and someone who does want to gossip. And people who want to gossip, they're looking for other gossipers. Gossip feeds gossip, right? And they'll try to communicate it to someone who has a standard who won't participate in the conversation. And they, the, typically the gossip person starts thinking that they're either arrogant or judgmental. Make sense? I've had people in my life that I just, they sometimes people think I'm an introvert. I am not an introvert. I'm a verbal processor and I'm out. I'm, I'm, I mean, look at me, I'm just talking all the time. And I, I, I'm not going to participate in a conversation that is speaking negative, negatively about somebody. And there's times where it'll look as though you're being rude. I'm not saying, say, hey, I'm not going to have that conversation. Just change the station. Just make it obvious that, hey, I'm not going to go down this path. I'm not going to communicate. I, I'm not going to keep talking about this person as though they're not in the room. Why? I'm not going to accuse them. I'm not going to take my stone, if you will, and cast the first lot and accuse someone that their behavior is not perfect. I'm not going to join the other team. Can I get an amen? Okay, so why do we gossip? Number one, we don't understand the power of our words. I just said it. I just drove it in the ground. I'm going to give you one more verse just to completely drive it home of how important this is to God, of how we communicate to one another. This is so important to him as a father. So Matthew 12, verse 33 through 37, this is one of those um, loving Jesus um, scriptures. So he said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and the fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good, out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. This is God saying, listen to what he says here, you're going to be held responsible for every aimless or careless word we speak. He's not even talking about a negative word, just aimless. A, A carefree word about somebody else. God wants to, he wants to have a conversation with us about that. I believe in the goodness of God as much as anyone in the room, but there is coming a day where you don't want to have this conversation. <laughs> he, he didn't say, I, I, I want to have a conversation with you about your sin life. You, you guys with me? This is really important to him of how we're communicating what we're saying to one another. So, first reason why we typically gossip is we don't understand the, the power that life and death is in the tongue. If we understood that, we would be way more hesitant to talk about somebody. Okay, and the second thing is, ultimately the root issue of gossiping about someone else is not knowing God as a father. This is the cornerstone of the Christian life, of learning God as a dad. And in my own life, any time that I feel like I want to gossip about somebody, and I feel that thing in my heart rise up, all it's doing is exposing some form of distrust or unbelief that I have between me and God. Like, why do I need the validation to get someone else to agree with me about someone else? I'm seeking validation from someone else when I need to go to the Father. 
anytime I'm about to do it, it's like, okay, God, what are you saying to me before I go talk to someone about this person? Typically, in my quiet, it should drive you into the quiet place. Typically, in the quiet place for me, if I bring up someone else's stuff, he would respond something like, you have a really big log in your eye to be talking about that other person. Jesus said, don't look at the other man, don't look at the speck in the other man's eye, look at the log in your eye and take care of that first. I have some giant logs in my eyes. <laughs> um, I wanted to show that with like props and stuff, but it'd be really hard to jab something in my eyeballs. <clears throat> but, but he's worried about me, he's worried about my connection with him, he's not, I, I don't need to worry about the other person. It's not my job to make sure that that person understands everything. It's my job to go before the Father even if you're justified in that that person did something wrong, it doesn't give you permission to gossip. Are you ready for this, extroverts? Even if you're an extrovert, you can't verbally process about someone else and don't call it gossip. Are you with me? This is what the religious spirit does. It wants to judge people. I want to go get the person caught in the act. I want to put them before God, and I want to throw a stone so I feel good about myself. That's not how Jesus did it. It's not how he works. Okay, I'm going to talk about blame, and then we'll end the ship and start prophesying. Who's cold? Small church problems here, you know? Figuring stuff out. We don't know where to park. Does the mic work? We need help in every area. Please help in every area. Okay. The, 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 the kingdom comes down. You're either functioning in fear or you're functioning in love. And probably the most nauseating way, the most nauseating manifestation of fear in this concept of gossip is blame. I want to talk to you about blame for a second. The idea, if, if you are quick, when something happens, if you are quick to blame someone else, just really check your heart. If you are blaming someone for your position in your life, I don't care how hellacious it is. If you're blaming your parents for something they did 30 years ago, if you're blaming your boss, if you're blaming your next-door neighbor, if you're blaming your spouse, blame. When you blame, it's a missed opportunity to grow. I don't even care if, it, if, the person sh- if it's the person's fault. You still don't need to blame them. Blaming is accusing. I, I watch this all the time. I was in, I'll be in business meetings and something will go wrong and all of a sudden everyone's scurrying to like, who's the culprit? What's the problem? It's like we're wasting energy figuring out where in the process flow this happened. Let's just fix the problem. In, in marriage with your kids, it, you, you can't be all things to everyone and you're going to mess up. And you have this huge opportunity to blame someone else. Jesus called us blameless. If we're blameless before him, what are we doing when we're blaming one another? We're just accusing. There is literally, try this. You'll realize how much, if you've never heard this before, you'll realize how much you blame. Anything. Traffic. Literally anything. You want to blame someone else because you don't want to take responsibility for it. I don't like how that person puts on their brakes. Well, then you shouldn't have drove at that time of the day. That's the amount of lack of blame I'm talking about. 
No, they justifiably hurt my feelings. Awesome, you can grow from it. Blaming it just shuffs it to the side and you don't get to grow. All it does is it, it, it makes you actually a victim, not a victor. Even if it's not, even if it's justified in your blame. <sighs> you guys with me? Yes. This is terrible. In hell, people are just blaming each other. In heaven, no one's blaming one another for anything. Shouldn't be blaming. What was the first manifestation of sin when Adam and Eve bit the fruit? Blame. Adam, what happened? She told me to do it. Adam, I asked you a question, and you're dodging blame. Okay, Eve, what happened? The devil told me to do it. I can just see God being like, oh, crap, it started. No one's taking responsibility for their stuff anymore. Blame in your heart makes you want to gossip. Okay. Can I get an amen? All right. In closing, there's this incredible story in Matthew 13. Jesus came back home to Nazareth and was rejected. Very well-known story. It's potentially my favorite story. There's so much meat in this story. But for the sake of today, I'm going to paraphrase it. Jesus is 30 years old. He leaves Nazareth. He's going out. He's healing the sick, raising the dead, driving out demons, loving widows, feeding people. He's doing the stuff. Greatest ministry ever, right? He comes back home and has full intent because he healed everyone who wanted prayer always. Jesus ruined every funeral he was a part of. He never, any, any form of lack, he provided a solution for. So that's his intent when he goes back home. So he goes back home. He starts doing the stuff. He's doing the Jesus stuff. And someone says out loud, isn't this Mary and Joseph's son? And then someone else says, yeah, 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 we know his sisters. And it says they took offense at him, which led to unbelief. And Jesus could not do the miracles he wanted to do there. Did you hear that? The way they gossiped about Jesus ended a city revival. Is this sobering to you? This is why I'm doing a church because I want the manifest presence of God here and people to experience that and having miracle signs and wonders follow us. And gossip, gossip prevented Jesus from doing miracles. How much more detrimental is it to you and I by doing this? Do you want revival? Do you want to see city reformation? I want to see racism ended and no more poverty and healthcare and education systems thrive. All that comes from a lot of reasons. One way that it can come is through a, a manifestation of God's presence and people learn what he's like and go out and do it. And that can be stopped by gossip. Sobering. So, have I scared you enough to not do it? It's just death can be in your tongue and you can end revival. But go ahead if you want to do it. That's, a, that's totally fine with me. Feel free to do so. Okay. Can we be people that don't gossip? Just check your heart at the door. Just go to the Father when you have blame issued towards someone. Just check your heart at the door. It will always lead to fruit. Okay, I'm going to pray and then we're going to prophesy stuff. 
Father, I thank you uh, for how pure you are and how right you are and you do things the right way. I just thank you for your nature. I thank you that you're not accusing us and that you're not gossiping about us to people and your heart is pure and your heart is right. So I just pray that you would give us a fresh revelation, fresh wind on this issue of life and death being in the tongue and teaching us how to eat from the fruit of positive thinking and positive communication. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.